Karen. I can always count on you to take care of business. Now, um, as we get started this morning, uh, I think it's just important. I mean, this this passage is something very familiar to us. I mean, you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit and certainly the deeds of the flesh. And these kind of lists are very telling of our condition, our spiritual condition, where we are. And so I just think it's important to see that. Now, last week, if we're, we're just going to look back in a minute, but last week we learned about how we were to stand firm in our freedom. We, we're to stand firm in the freedom that we have in the Gospel. We're not to rely on our works to save us, but we're to stand firm in those things. We also know that our freedom is not a, kind of a, a freedom that just gives us the ability to do whatever we want. It's a freedom to serve God. And, and so we're not to, to abuse our freedom. And today we're going to talk about kind of what it means to walk in the freedom of the gospel and what it means to not. And so we're, we're going to see that very clearly. Now, as, as we think about what's going on here, I mean, the, these Gentile believers are struggling with how they are to live, and Paul's going to clearly uh, present that to them this morning. Um, so I, I just think it's important to stop one more time and say, understand this. Paul knows that if he says that, that in, in the gospel we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and if we do, if we embrace that, then some people might pick up and say, well, I can do whatever I want to and act however I want to, and there's nothing uh, to said about that. We're totally free. And so I think it's important that we stop and say, look, one who is truly saved will desire to live in a, li- a life that is godly, and will desire to throw off anything that doesn't look like that. And so that's important to know. But also to say this, if you're genuinely a Christian, you desire. You desire to live a godly life. You desire to look like God. You desire to be a person controlled by the Spirit and not by your own fleshly desires. You want to live a godly life. And so today we're going to be talking about that, how, what it means to walk by the Spirit and not give in to the desires of the flesh. Some people, now you get out there, you meet some people, and they think they can get on this high plane of spirituality that they never sin. That's crazy. This, this shows us that we are a part of a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. Others seem to act like, well, that's just who I am. I've always been like that. You're a Christian now. You are in Christ. The Spirit of God dwells in you. He is about transforming us. And so who we used to be is not who we want to be. And so it's important to understand very clearly what it means to really walk by the Spirit and not give in to the desires of the flesh. And I think it's important to remember that it's always going to be a battle We're always going to be at war as long as we are in this life. Ephesians 6, Paul even told them, put on the full armor of God that you may stand firm because it's not an easy thing. And so as we begin, I want you to look back at verses 13 through 15. Kind of had to rush through that last week. I just want to note a couple of things. Just look at with with me, verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul's saying, be free. We are free. We are free. 
But don't use this as an opportunity for, for the flesh. Instead, you're, you're set free to serve. You're set free to serve. God saved us to serve Him and others. Paul is saying you are free to embody the law now, to, to, to free to be like God. The law displays, puts on display the character of God. You are free now to be like God, to love like God. You were in bondage to sin and now you're freed to be conformed to the image of His Son by the Spirit. And so I think it's just important to see that, understand that. Now, the re- reality is you were dead spiritually, but, but the Gospel brought freedom and life. You, you, you are free to become more human again. To be, to be like Jesus is to be more like what you were designed to be as a human. And so all of that kind of is, flows out of here. We are free again to serve one another. We are free to not be foolish and devour one another, but instead to love one another. And so that's very clear in this text. Titus, 2, I mean, Titus 3, 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to our various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, but not any longer. And so we're going to again look at those two this morning. So let's start in verse 16. In this passage it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Now who is the Spirit? The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit, if you think about it this way, it's very helpful for me. And in God's plan of saving us, the Father is the architect of the plan. The Father chose us. Jesus, the Son, God the Son, He redeemed us by His blood. And thirdly, God the Spirit applies that to our life. So the redemption of Christ is applied by the Spirit. So the Spirit is working in that. He is accomplishing that. He regenerates us. He causes us to be born again. He convicts us of a sin. He leads us and guides us into truth. He reminds us of all that Jesus said. He, he helps us apply that. He empowers us to live in light of what the Word teaches. Walk by the Spirit. The key here is the Spirit is the one that we follow. The Spirit is the one that is guiding us. The Spirit is personal to us. He is personally leading us. The Spirit is at work in us. Jesus said in John 14, in 16 and 17, He said, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. When Jesus is about to go to the cross, He's going to say, We're going to send another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him or knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Romans 8-9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. This is not some, something that you get after salvation if the Spirit does not live in you. You are not Christ. For the Spirit is the one who comes to lead you to Christ. And He is the one that stays with you in Christ. So it's important that we see that, understand that. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So there's something about the evidence of who you are, what Christ has done in you by the Spirit. He has sent the Spirit into our hearts that says you are sons of God. To be sealed with the Spirit 
And see, the evidence of the Spirit is something that helps us understand that we are children of God. The New Covenant, just kind of backtrack a little bit, in Ezekiel, the New Covenant speaks of God putting His Spirit within us to cause us to walk in His ways. So it's very important to grasp that. The Spirit is the one who is going to remind us, John 14 says in 26, He reminds us of everything Jesus says and He he helps us walk in those truths to apply the Word of God to all of life. begins on the inside. The Spirit works on us on the inside and it comes out in our actions. Look at verse 16 again. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit's leading when yielded, yielded to in our lives will lead us away from fleshly living, from gratifying the flesh, from satisfying the demands of the flesh. The flesh cries out, it cries out and the Spirit comes and if we follow and yield to Him, He is, he is working in us that we will not satisfy the demands of the flesh. When you are not a Christian, I thought of it like, you ever seen the little rings that go in a bull's nose and they drag them around so they can control them? When you're not a Christian, that, that, the flesh just, you are carried off by it. You're drug around all the time, running after all kinds of worldliness. Just drags you around, it dominates you, it controls you. But in Christ, we've been set free from that. Now, now here's the thing, you might say, all right, Jared, define the flesh. Well, some people say this, it's just basically your old sinful nature that you were born with. It's just who we are in Adam, you're born a sinner, that's just your old nature. Other people would say, well, the old nature, the Scripture says, was crucified, and the flesh is just what's left over that hasn't been redeemed or rescued from the fallen condition. I don't know what to take with both of I would say, listen, regardless of which one that is, it's basically saying that unredeemed part of you that craves after the things that do not bring honor and glory to God. And everybody faces that. And everyone struggles with that. If you're not a Christian, you're dominated. If you are a Christian, you're at war. that clear enough? So it's just important that we see that. It's so important because we have to believe the truths of God's Word and see the reality of the spiritual battle that we face. Verse 17. How do these two opposing forces kind of work together or work against one another? It says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The spirit and the flesh are at odds. They are at war. They are, they are enemies that face one another at all times, in all ways. As a Christian, really, it's just important. We, we want to serve the Lord. It's interesting. It says to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's something about the Christian. You have to say, he has been given new desires. He wants to live for God. You desire that now. But on the other side, it's almost like, but you don't always desire that. But but the pattern of your life will be, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. But there's this enemy within me that's warring against that. 
And the battle is there raging all, at all times. Now here's the thing. For the Christian, we know there will be victory. Some years ago, I heard a guy talking about facing death, and really he thought he was going to die. The doctor said he was going to die. He comes out alive, but he said in those moments, he began to say, the battle is almost over. That fleshly war within, it's almost done. He began to, he just yearned for that day when he no longer struggled with the flesh. But the reality is, we do. We want to serve the Lord. We want to serve the King who died for us. We want to serve our Father who sent the Son for us. We desire those things, but there is a battle and it continues to rage. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now this is kind of an interesting phrase thing. In the middle of this, why? He's been talking about all along. The law equals, equals really works righteousness. The law equals you saving yourself. The law equals you trying to, to, to win the battle. The law also does not give you power to win this life. Just me telling you, you ought to do this, does not give you power. The power comes as the Spirit energizes you. And so I think it's he's saying, but if you're led by the Spirit, energized by the Spirit, you are not under the law to try to save yourself in this battle. The Spirit is helping save you, rescue you from your flesh. Keep moving here. What are the deeds of the flesh? It's a good question. What does it look like for someone to be dominated by the flesh? What would that look like? It's a very important question for us, for a non-believer or a believer. For the non-believer, he reads this list here today and says, wow, I think I'm dominated by some of those things. For the believer, he says, wow, I still struggle with some of those things. So it's just important that we see and understand that. Now, as it begins, it says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, uh, impurity, sensuality. Now, if we put those all together, those are sexual sins. Sexual actions. The first one might deal with any kinds of sin, and get any kind of relationship, engaging in sexual intercourse, outside of marriage sexual immorality could be defined that way impurity deals with all kinds of uncleanness really dealing with all aspects of sexual sin if you're to read the law in the old testament you see long list of ways that people come up with in doing sexual sins in our world i was thinking we were someone asked earlier how does this relate to our world is it was it bad in the old days well evidently it was a battle here Paul understood those were real sins. Throughout the Bible, we see these as real sins that all cultures deal with. But it's also important to understand that in our culture, one of the things that's a real struggle is that in a visual, video-oriented culture, in a moment, in a moment, in a click of a button, you could be engaged in sexual immorality, pornography, all of those things that are so pervasive in our culture, you can't walk around this world. You, sometimes when you go like to a mall or something, there's all these people and all these ads, and you think, holy cow, all this stuff that's trying to drive you away from trusting the Lord. I, I've talked to some people that just say, like trying to buy your child clothes that clothe them in this culture is very difficult. 
It's one of those things that's so pervasive and it's all around us. And not only it goes on to say, we see this other thing, it says uh, sensuality. And that, that idea of just trying to make everything attractive sexually. It goes on, we must strive for purity and decency in all aspects of life. That's the first set. It's a big issue, we struggle with it. The second group here is idolatry and sorcery. The idolatry is wrong worship. As we've talked about before, and sorcery is kind of like the whole the, the story behind idolatry. It's like people come up with all these chants and all these things to try to make their idols do stuff for them. So, so not only is it demonic worship, but it's all the worship systems that are tied to trying to help the gods do whatever that you've created, do what you want them to do. It's interesting, like when you think about that, we, we, when we think about the gods of the world, some places in the world you can still go and see all these gods, you see things that people have created, they're still putting food out for them, they bow down to them, they do all this stuff. In our culture, it's kind of like we say, well, we're above that. But people are still giving their lives to certain things, and when they don't get what they want from these gods, they start sinning against people. There's all kinds of things that putting things above God that's pervasive in this culture. You ask the question, what do people rely on? What do they put their trust in? What do they think about? What do they fantasize about? What's the perfect day for them? All those things begin to reveal idols of the heart. So not only is he going to mention these deeds of the flesh in a sexual manner, he's going to deal with the issue of, the, of a spiritual nature or worship issues. Not worshiping the one true and living God. Not resting in Him. Not trusting in what Christ has done. All of those things we're trusting in something else. The third set is a social breakdown of the like, Christian community, you might say. There's societal sins. These sins, there's a long list here. Enmity is tied to the idea of an enemy. This is a form of hatred that includes any kind of social, racial, or religious hostility. You're at enmity. You, have, you find yourself looking and saying, those people are my enemies. Strife. It's rivalry. You sometimes, like in a high school... This high school is, in, is, is, is their rival, you would say, is this other high school, and they see themselves at, at, at war with one another. When I was in high school, this guy, uh, I went to Texas High, this guy went to, uh, there was, went to Texas High, went over to Arkansas High, he chained up like the little Arkansas um, thing that was on the, the I guess it was, it was on like this uh, sign out there, they had the little, I can't even think what you call it, what? He has a little razor back. Mm. Anyway, I still don't like those things. But anyway, they, he grabbed it, he tied a, a chain to it, and yanked it off and brought it over to Texas High. And we were like, "Woo!" Of course, after that, like he probably went to jail or something. But it, it's still one of those things. There was this kind of rivalry, this discord that comes, and it's kind of that becomes a quarrelsome thing that becomes like very pervasive. Jealousy. Uh, you, you want someone else's things. You want what someone else has. It makes you mad to see them have something that you don't have. Fits of anger. I think of temper tantrums. Y'all ever, uh, I, I do like to watch, um, and I've probably mentioned it several times, but I love watching the Andy Griffith show. One of my favorite shows is when the little kid like, is trying to teach uh, Opie how to do temper tantrums. 
fall down on the ground, and he's like he's crying or whatever, and Andy, of course, looks at him and he's like, what are you doing down there? He said, I'm throwing a temper tantrum. You know, it's like this whole deal of how, like, Andy does not really, is not really like, a, <laughs> it doesn't affect him. Temper tantrums didn't, like, make him go, oh, i got to go help my little boy that's down there crying because he's mad. But it's the same kind of deal, this fits of anger. Sometimes you, you see this very pervasive, even, even in the church, uh, used to like when after a, a business meeting, we probably shouldn't have been doing this, but I was on a staff and after a business meeting we had a heated one or whatever, everybody's sitting around laughing at the person that had their temper tantrum in the business meeting. And they think they're getting something done, everybody's looking like, why are you crying? You know, I mean, you're an adult. But it, it's still this picture, this fits of anger here, rivalry. Some people would say, as you think about this, they create this kind of spirit, this type of spirit that everything is a is a, almost a competition here between the two. Now here's the thing. He's writing this to the church who are or they're living life together. The, the, the reality is that sometimes you can be real passionate about a certain ministry that you're involved in. And it causes that kind of struggle. Because why does not, not why doesn't everybody want that? Or why can't my ministry be the first thing on the on the on whatever? And why aren't people not talking about what I want to talk about? It's all of those things that come and as you move forward, dissensions and divisions. It, actually, all of those things could lead to a place where a church totally divided. Where a church said, Well, we're just split. It couldn't work these things out. As you keep forward, like envy, again, it's not just, it's not just wanting what someone else has. It wa- it's, it's, it's wanting harm to come to a person because they have what you want. Envy goes beyond just saying, oh, I want that. It's saying, I don't want that person to have it because I wanted it. The flesh wants to control. The flesh doesn't want others to succeed. All of those things, enmity and strife, you could do a whole series of sermons on those kinds of issues that come up when someone is dominated by the flesh. As you keep moving forward, the last group here are two very common sins in cultures. Drunkenness. And orgies. The picture here is the Bible does not prohibit alcohol any more than it prohibits food. But the Bible always condemns, always condemns drunkenness. It's a picture of not being controlled. Drunkenness leads you to be out of control. I would say any substance that leads you to not be in control of your mental faculties and be led by the Spirit is a sin. So it's just important that we see that. And so drunkenness, which would be very pervasive, and even in our culture, there are places where people go just to get drunk. Some people spend their whole weekends in a drunken stupor, and those are deeds of the flesh. The picture here of orgies not only is tied to sexual things, but it's just kind of like a wild party lifestyle. Some people say that's just what it means to go to college, drunkenness and and wild partying. But that's not what the Bible presents of a Christian. Those are deeds of the flesh. Those are things that resemble someone who is dominated by Satan. Those are things that reveal something of loving to to live in a way that really, again, of, of your father, Satan. 
of a fleshly nature of embracing those things with reckless abandonment, of looking forward to living in a way where you get what you want through strife and anger, where you get what you want through drunkenness, where you get what you want through sexual pleasure. All of those things are an evidence of someone not walking by the Spirit. This isn't the only list. He says here, and things like these. It's not the only list. In the Bible, there are many lists. And you know what? You could probably create a list with me as long as you didn't go past the Bible. Sometimes people do that. They come up with all these rules that are not in in the Bible. They say, well, that's a wise thing to do. It's not in the Bible. It may be wise for you, but it's not in the Bible. So we look at those things and we say, what are they? Romans 1, 29-31 says, speaks of more lists. It says, all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's just important to understand that the Scripture presents to us the ways of this world being dominated by the ways of this age, being dominated by sin, if you will. And what does he say? They, man, this is just, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Everybody's a Christian in East Texas. Or are they? I mean, this isn't the most sanctified place on the planet where you go around and say, look at the glory of God on display when you walk through this town. The reality is, is we have to be honest about this reality that those who embrace these things, those who embrace them to its fullness, those who almost give each other hearty approval of embracing these things, those who say, it was okay for you to do that. It's okay for you to act like that. They are not saying what the Scripture says. It is not okay. You are at war against your flesh. And you must fight these things. The reality is, though, we struggle with them you know that we battle with these things we we will sin in this way probably at some level this week that that is common to our 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 flesh that we would fall into those kinds of traps that's something that we face philip Ryken says the only thing that the sinful nature can produced is an unchaste, unholy, uncharitable, undisciplined life. And we still struggle with the sinful nature. It is still there within us. So I would just say to you that, 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 that you understand that you battle with these things, but if they become a way of life where you say, I'll just do this and live like this and stop fighting it, and honestly, I don't even think it's a sin, you start walking down that road, it gives evidence that something that, that, that this is not real, that Christianity is not real, that following Christ is not real, that you have not embraced the gospel, you have not experienced the Spirit. So I just I think it's important, it's sobering for us. Now verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Love here is, as you start this, it's, it's the one that comes first. Actually, in 1 Corinthians it says, that, that so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. It may, some people say, maybe the sum and substance of all the rest of these. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not just put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We will be patterned after love. When the Spirit dominates, love will come forth. Love for God. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love for the world. God puts that in our hearts. He moves forward. Joy. Have y'all ever been sad but joyful? I have. I mean, I've been broken hearted yet filled with joy. Paul writes Philippians, and it, I think it's, I don't know how many times the word joy is mentioned, but it's just like, he's in chains. He is a prisoner. And he's filled with joy. This is something outside of just the happenings of your life. Joy is tied to contentment also. It's, it's present both in good and bad times. You keep moving forward. Peace. So some people would say with joy really comes peace. We talk about being at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were reconciled to God. But then there's a peace of God that comes in our life as we, as we experience the power of the Spirit. There's something about like this tranquility of mind that John MacArthur says in our lives. It, there's something about that I can put my head down at night and rest in the providence and the power of God. Sometimes for me, when my mind races and there's all these concerns, I am sleepless. Man, I just can't go to sleep for anything. But he's saying here, and the Spirit's dominating, he's driving you to understand that, to grasp that patience. This idea of long-suffering in the face of hardships. Sometimes traffic can show you. And some people will say, man, I'm just not that patient or whatever. When the Spirit is controlling me, patience, patience flows out. There's something about this. one of the tests of someone living in a home with people for long hours. We say, test our patience. But, and that is a reality. We struggle with that. The closer we get to people, the more we have a tendency not to be patient. Because as the, when the Spirit dominates us, this will be true of our hearts. Kindness. This is wanting to serve others. Some people are kind when you meet them. They're really good at being kind for like 30 seconds. I mean, they just learn that. You know, they just kind of get taught that when they're growing up. They're just kind of like, uh, smile, look somebody in the eye, shake their hand. It's really pleasant. And hey, I would teach, I'm going to teach my son to do that. That won't necessarily mean that the Spirit is dominating him and producing kindness in him. Goodness. This has the idea of being morally excellent. It, it's a willingness to be generous um, towards others. You, you, a generous heart. They you spend your money, your time investing in other people. Faithfulness. This idea of trustworthiness. This is the kind of person that you give them something, they get it done. 
They're faithful. Really, if you say, if somebody's faithful to the cause of Christ, they are sticking their hands up and saying, how can I serve God and His people? And not only that, don't worry about it again. And it's not just faithfulness in that way. It's faithfulness in relationships. Somebody that has long, extended times of relationships, where they have 20-year-old relationships, you say they're a faithful person. Their life is dominated by they're trustworthy and they're faithful. People that are always losing relationships are people who are not faithful in those. In our culture, there's such a moving around that sometimes you think, I don't even get to watch somebody's life long enough to see if they're faithful. Actually, the Scripture says, even among someone who's going to be an elder in a church, you've got to see for a while to find out, are they going to be faithful? Do I see that pattern over a long period of time? Gentleness. Wow. You know, this blew me away the first time I studied this. It's a meekness. When the Scripture talks about blessed are the meek, those are people who are really strong, but it's strength under control. They're meek. They, they, listen, it takes more strength to be meek than to, to not be. Someone who uh, just is not meek, is, is, it's the idea of Moses did not defend himself. When Moses was before the Lord, the Bible says that, that he was the most meek man on the planet. When the people took up stones to stone him to death, Moses goes away and gets on his knees and prays for them. Not that they would be uh, damned eternally. Not that God would send rocks down from heaven and crush them. He prayed that God would save them. He would rescue them. He was not fighting for himself That's meekness. It's a gentleness. It's not combatant. It's restraining that. Self-control. This means temperance or moderation. Self-control in eating, drinking, sex, work, hobbies, your tongue. This person is not ruled by their passions. They put on the brakes. They restrain themselves. This is what it means to be dominated by the Spirit. So I think it's important that we see that and we understand that. So let's talk about a couple of last little things here on the Spirit and its work. One is, this again is not an exhaustive list. There are other things that we would say looks like Christian. It's called not fruits, plural, but the fruit of the Spirit. So one thing that that means is you can't say, well, when the Spirit's in control, I sure am joyful, but I'm not patient. It's saying that these things come out of someone who is yielded to the Spirit. Now certainly there's going to be areas that we may struggle with more, but we need to see that as a holistic thing. When the Spirit dominates, these things would be true of us. One author said, this is not nine gems, but nine different facets of the same dazzling gem. The Spirit is the one that produces these things in our lives, these qualities. Now you may say, well, some people have those naturally. Without the Spirit, 
these, these things, these qualities are not pure and they're not done to the glory of God. So I think it's important to also say too about these, these things is there, there, there's a certain element where you say these are the attributes of God. This is what it means to look like God. When God is working in His people, that's what He's doing. He's fashioning them into the image of Christ. You know what, too? The fourth thing I would say about that, the deeds of the flesh are things that quench the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is more about the inside rather than the outside. The deeds of the flesh are external things that you see. The Spirit is something that works on the inside and will produce godly actions on the outside. Look what it says at the last little bit of that. We're almost done. What does this phrase mean? Against such things there is no law. Wow, that's a crazy. That's amazing. There's no do not. When the Spirit dominates, you're not asking what does God say not to do. You're walking in the ways of God and you embody the things that God would say not to do, but you would live out the things that God says to do. That would be a normal thing. Now, as we conclude, we're going to look at the last two verses, 24 and 25. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is what some people call the mortification of the flesh or the mortification of sin. Throughout this passage, and I think it's important, it's a battle against sin. It is fighting against sin. We are to strive to deny ourselves. We are to strive to kill sin. To kill the flesh. One person talked about it. It's like to be crucified there is to say my fleshly life is, is, is at some level, when I come to Christ, it is, it is put on the cross. But the flesh wants to get up. And so sometimes we go over there and say, oh, wonderful little flesh. And you sit down there and you say, we want to help the little flesh. I'm going to feed the flesh. I'm going to help the flesh in some way. I'm going to give CPR to the flesh. And he says, no, you crucify the flesh. You don't give it CPR. You don't try to save it. You don't speak to it, try to coddle it. No, you crucify it and leave it. That is the, that's what mortification is. It's killing the flesh. It's putting it to death. You know what's funny in our culture? We think we can just buy something to fix it. This is a lifelong struggle of fighting against the flesh. Then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. As we put the flesh to death, our new regenerate nature is being revived by the Spirit. We cultivate good things. We think about the fact that living by the Spirit is walking in step with the Spirit. Since God has brought us to life, now we're to walk in this way. See, a military term, it has the idea of walking in step. You watch a military group as they keep in step with one another. That's what he's saying. Stay in step with the Spirit. As Christian soldiers, we come together for war and we follow the Spirit who is our commanding officer. Walking by the Spirit happens in ordinary means of life. Listen to me. Coming to church helps you grow in that. Getting before the Word helps you grow in that. Praying helps you grow in that. Spending time with believers in community groups, talking about the things of God, praying for one another helps us grow in that. The Spirit works in the ordinary means that God has given us to live in a way that would be pleasing to Him. This is how the Spirit works. So I ask you today, are you striving 
to walk by the Spirit and not give in to the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would produce in us a desire to be pleasing to You in every respect. May we understand that the Gospel is not just freedom from the penalty of sin, but by the power of the Spirit, it's freedom from the power of it. May we embrace that truth. May we allow this, these truths to penetrate our hearts. In Christ's name, Amen.